we can sometimes feel distracted by the things happening around us. And we are really called in this season to keep our focus on Jesus Christ at all times. So Jesus has this conversation with a few of John's disciples, and it's quite an interesting story. There are parts that I find actually a little bit odd. Because John is the one who recognizes Jesus as Jesus walks by, identifies him by his prophetic name, the Lamb of God. And if you read on into the book of Revelation, this is how Jesus is referred to. He is the fulfillment of Scripture, of the prophetic voice of the Old Testament. And there's an apocalyptic side to this name, Lamb of God. It reminds people and it should remind us that there is an expectation of Jesus' return. Some people talk about there being two Advents. The first Advent, which we've just been through, that leads to the birth of Jesus Christ. And the second Advent being the arrival of Jesus on the scene at the end of time. And actually, the reality is, in that space between, you can imagine Jesus holding both those advents and pulling them together in himself so that there is no separation in time between his birth and his second coming. It's all slightly strange in cosmic terms and in history terms, but at the same time, it's the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ, that we're never far, that we're never separated by time or history or anything else. And I think maybe in a moment, maybe John didn't understand everything that he was saying, but he identified in Jesus this is something of messianic proportions. This is important. There are more odd things to follow. John never follows Jesus that we're told in the book of John. We're never told that John the Baptist says to his disciples, all right, I'm done here. Uh, I'm going to stop doing my ministry and we're all going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be chief among those followers. We never hear that. Although John does say later about Jesus, John the Baptist says, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. John's time has come to an end and I don't know if he knew all that was coming in his life and in his death. But maybe he knew that his purpose on earth was coming to an end.
But you see, this is just the beginning for Jesus' disciples. I think there are four things to notice here. The first is this. The disciples don't really know why they're following Jesus. They don't really know why. But they start by following with their feet. They can't give a clear account of why they're drawn to Jesus Christ. They've been following John presumably for years in his ministry of repentance. Jesus comes along and they find something utterly compelling about him. Something undeniably magnetic about him. And they can't quite say everything there is about that. But they physically are drawn to Jesus. And I don't know if their hearts and minds are really following at that point. Jesus says this thing, what do you want? What do you want? And that sounds like a challenge to me. I don't even think they know what they want. And so something odd comes out like, um, where are you staying? Where are you staying the night? And it's a very human thing to say when we're suddenly caught off guard by this magnetic attraction to Jesus Christ. First thing, disciples don't really know why they're following Jesus. Second thing, following is a physical act. In the days of Jesus Christ, rabbis were in a tradition of discipling people under them. And these disciples would go with a rabbi who'd been chosen by the rabbi, and they would follow the rabbi everywhere. They'd walk behind him, and the saying was that a good disciple was known because they had the dust of the rabbi's feet all over them. That's how closely they followed. Following is a physical act. It's a decision. It represents a changing in direction of our lives. I presume that there was a conversation that unfolded between Jesus and these men. And I don't think it involved any guarantees of these disciples' future glory. It didn't involve any guarantees. Well, I will provide house and home for you. I will provide a living for you. I don't think there was any guarantee. I think you could call this faith. Two, 
Following is a physical act. Number three, disciples go out and make disciples. In the power of Jesus Christ, yes, but disciples are the ones who go out and make disciples. That's, that's us. That's me and that's, that's all of us. And they did this, Jesus' disciples did this from day one. Within an hour or two of having met this man for the first time, before they'd heard the whole story, before they had all the facts, before they had the promises, Andrew brings his brother Simon, whom Jesus renames Peter. And there's power here in simply bringing someone into the presence of God. There's power in that invitation of saying, you know, I don't have all the answers. I don't even know maybe why I'm doing this, but I am compelled to invite you into this place with Jesus Christ. Notice that these men don't engage others in a political discussion about the Roman occupation or turn to apologetics to convince other people that they should follow Jesus, that it's the most rational thing to do. They don't know. They have no idea. But they know one thing. They want other people to come and meet this man. And that's all they know. And they are compelled by this motivation to invite others into the presence of Jesus Christ because they have a feeling that everybody's life is going to be cosmically different. Oh, and it is. That's the benefit of our hindsight with Scripture. We know that it is. We know that the world is changed and changing because of Jesus. Number three, disciples make disciples. Number four, disciples are witnesses. What does it mean to witness? In commonplace understanding, what does it mean to witness? We have this in our, in our legal systems, to be a witness. Again, Kathy. To see something happen. And what requires us to be a witness in that way? We just have to be there. We just have to be in the midst of what is going on. And if we are witnesses of Jesus Christ, all we need is to be there. Jesus tells his disciples towards the end, he says, don't worry. Don't worry, they'll drag you into courts and you'll have to testify on my behalf. You'll be challenged about your faith. 
Don't worry about what to say. Just open your mouth and the power of the Holy Spirit will come out and speak on your behalf. How amazing is that? Do you believe you could do that? I was asked in a job interview before I arrived at this church. The vicar asked me, he said, we're, we're thinking of launching a program on evangelism. I said, that sounds good. He said, what would you teach the congregation? What three steps would you teach them about how to do evangelism? He said, you know, we really have this hang up in our church. If people have a hard time talking about Jesus in their place of work, they have a hard time talking about Jesus with family members. So what would be your strategy? What would be three steps that you would teach our congregation? And I thought, I'm not going to get this job. <laughs> I just... I just chuckled to myself, inside, obviously. I can't think of three, but I can think of one. There is power in the name of Jesus Christ. And if ever you are in a situation where you are afraid, or you need help, or you feel compelled to say something to someone maybe whose life is in difficulty or they're having a difficult time making decisions, if ever you feel compelled to help someone and yet you don't know how, and you don't know the right words to say, I guarantee you, as I stand here living and breathing today, if you utter the name of Jesus Christ, He will take charge of that situation. He will do the work. I guarantee you. Try it. Try it sometime. We've been pressing into prayer ministry in this church life, and I have been so amazed and overwhelmed by the things that God is doing in this way. You know, and God often chooses the most humble ways sometimes the most ordinary ways to surprise people. There's nothing controversial about prayer ministry. And yet, it is one of the most revolutionary ways to give the Holy Spirit permission to change people's lives. You know, this can be a real culture shift for a society that is used to counseling, that's used to providing advice, that's used to providing answers, wisdom, knowledge. You go to any bookstore nowadays, or maybe you shop on Amazon like I do for books, 
And if you type in self-help or you go to the self-help section of the bookstore, how many publications do you think you'll find? Loads. Loads. And guess what? The titles turn over year after year. There's advice for this and advice for that. Relationships, you know, child rearing. Debt, finance, all kinds of stuff. And some of them sell quite a few copies. By the way, did you know what the number one best-selling book in the world is currently? It is. Do you know what it was last year? Do you know what it was the year before? I bet, here's a bold prediction, I bet in 2021, I know which will be the best-selling book in the entire world. Don't underestimate the power of Jesus Christ to work below the radar in humble ways, in modest ways, to shock us and others about his power. When we pray, all we need to do is just invite Jesus in. There's a gentleman at the back door I think wants to get in. Could somebody let him in? Thank you, Kathy. All we need to do is pray and pray like this. Jesus, come. We don't need to tell him what to do. We don't need to diagnose the problem. We don't need to summon all of the theological resources that we've read, and, you know, I've read a few too. The fact is, as prayer warriors, as evangelists, as missionaries, you already know everything you need to know to do those things and to do them effectively. Because guess what? When the disciples went out, how much of the New Testament had they read? None. All they had was this man. And all they knew that was that being in his presence changed things. And they waffled back and forth. Is this the Son of God? I don't know. Can I sit at his right hand in heaven? I don't know. Can he feed all these people? I don't know. There is something to simply answering the invitation to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that, that is simply my goal for us as a church family, is to say, yes, Lord Jesus, just come and do. We visited some friends in California, and um, he had this amazing car. It was a 1975 uh, Chevy Camaro, the sport model. It was cherry red with black racing stripes. And he was talking me through uh, all the things that it had, 350 horsepower under the bonnet, sport handling. 
this amazing sound when you started it up. And you know, all of that was like, you know what, wonderful. Just let me drive it. <laughs> Just let me feel the power of this. I love you describing it, but man, you're killing me. Just give me the keys. Folks, we, you, have the keys. We got the keys. We just need to start it up and get going. And you will be amazed. You will be amazed at what Jesus does. Not just in your life, but in the life of this community, the life of Lark Hall, and the life of Bath, and the world, you will be amazed. I can't do that for you. I'm just a human being and quite a few faults at that. But Jesus can do that for you. And I so want to press into that in this new year with you. And just say, Lord, what is possible? What could happen? In the name of Jesus. Amen.